there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son talk about all sorts of fantasy and sci-fi fiction that we enjoy. Today, it's just me again, a Just Jim episode, as we take a look at the next book in the Dresden Files, which still, I'm sorry to report, Zachary has not begun. He's reading all sorts of other good things out there, so I can't really get on him too badly. I mean, he's into the Stormlight Archive, uh, Broken Earth. Um, now he's reading, finally, The Dragon Riders of Pern. So there's all sorts of good things on his plate, and he only has so much time in a day. He'll get to these eventually, just not yet, so he can't join us when we talk about the Dresden Files. Today, I'm going to be talking about Book 10, Small Favor. Before I get to that, a few things to share. One, if you enjoy what you see today, if you're liking the content, be sure to like this episode and subscribe. If you're listening in audio format, likewise, subscribe so you can catch all of the content we put out here. Not just, of course, the ones I do, but the ones Zach and I do together and the times that we have guests join us. And make a review. Let us know what you're thinking about the various things we put out there and even suggestions of what else you'd like to see. I also would encourage you to check the show notes here of the ways you can interact with us beyond our episodes. We've got a great Discord server. Love to see you there. We have a Patreon so people can support our show and keep us doing this for the long term. Everyone who's a Patreon supporter also has the ability to come and join us in our live recordings. It's not too many of our patrons who actually uh, have read all of the Dresden files. So we've seen some for a few of these episodes, but I don't think anyone's going to make it with me today. They're catching up still. <laughs> but when we do Wheel of Time content, we almost always have patrons with us for those recordings and some of our other fun types of episodes. Just take a look at all of the content you can see here. You'll see the types of things we're putting out. We'd love to have you join us on Patreon. And of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Look for all the ways you can connect with us. And we love interacting with our fans. One of the things we always do at the beginning of these episodes is talk about what we're drinking. Well, usually we record later in the day. This I'm doing at 10 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. So I'm drinking coffee. I didn't make a watt tail a cocktail, but I do have a very appropriately themed mug. I'm using one of our Fantasy for the Ages merch mugs. Hmm. It's a great vehicle for coffee, for Irish coffee, for whatever you want to put into it. But today it's just plain old coffee because it's still morning. A few other notes before I jump into the content. On our Discord server, we have started our Pern book club. That's why Zach is now reading The Dragon Riders of Pern. It was his suggestion. In one of our recent episodes, when we talked about whether to read or not to read The Dragon Riders of Pern, that, hey, let's do a book club. So we're doing it. And we just started it now. Uh, through the end of this month, July 2022, we're reading the first book, Dragonflight. I read it years ago. I'm really having fun diving back into it, especially with the perspective of having read many of the books before. There are 26 books in the Pern series. I've only read the first 16. Those are going to be great, but we're going to keep on going. So this will actually take a year and a half, assuming we stick with it. I plan to stick with it. Nobody else is obligated to, but you might experience a great ride doing it with friends, reading and sharing your thoughts. So that's on our Discord server. Consider joining us. 
Also underway on our Twitter is our July Twitter Tri-Reader Tournament. I don't remember when this is going to drop right now. The tournament might be wrapping up. Might actually be over. But we have one of these every other month. This time we're talking about the best series conclusions from science fiction and fantasy. So take a look at what's happened there. There have been some great series that have been suggested. I've added more things to my TBR list. You might find some new suggestions there too. That's one of the greatest things about those tournaments. Well, let's turn to the Dresden Files, shall we? Spoiler clarification. This is a full spoil episode on book 10, Small Favor. If you haven't read it, stop now. I'm going to ruin this book completely for you. You would not want to listen to this before you read the book. I'll also reference things from past books, but I will not spoil anything beyond book 10. So if you're only up this far, you're safe to enjoy this episode. I might hint at some things to come. That's kind of true to our podcast. But I will not ruin the future books. Those can wait for further review episodes. So some initial thoughts here before we dive into the summary of the book itself. One, I maybe should apologize a little bit here. My style, when I try to talk about these books, and if you've been listening to our Wheel of Time episodes, you're familiar with this this as well, I kind of get stuck in the details sometimes. I can't help going perhaps deeper than I really need to do. This is a problem I've had since childhood. Back in the, the summer between third and fourth grade, I was already an avid reader, and I distinctly remember the local public library was having a summer reading contest, challenge, something like that, where if you read enough books, you ended up earning a movie, like they were going to show a movie right in the library. Uh, and I wanted to earn that. Plus, that's what I love to do in the summer. I read. My, my parents had to chase me outside to play. I wanted to just sit inside and read. Well, to prove that you read books for this library competition in the summer, you had to come in and sit down with a librarian and tell them about the book you read. And I would talk about the book I read on and on. And on. I would tell the whole freaking story. They'd have to stop me, literally. Uh, that's okay, dear. We, we get it. You understood the book. But I'm like, this is fun. I want to keep talking. Well, now I do this on this show. So sometimes maybe I tell a little more than you really need me to talk about. It's just a reflection of how much I love literature and love these stories. So that's what I'm going to do again today. We're going to talk quite a bit about Small Favor. The best thing I can say about Small Favor is that the plot thickens. The overall Dresden story arc is advanced through this story. What actually happens in this story itself, uh, most of it is just kind of like, okay, it's a cute little story. I mean, there's a lot of fighting. <laughs> there's a lot of wah, but not really, whoa, big groundbreaking things. Uh, with a couple of exceptions, and I'll certainly highlight those. The one biggest exception I'll mention right now is Michael Carpenter. There's a major shift for that character in this book, and I'll certainly talk about it later on when it happens. That's huge. That's series changing, but there's not much that happens to that level. There's a lot that's laid down here. 
that's going to play out in future books. But I can't talk a lot about that yet because I won't spoil it for you. This is really, though, preparing for what's to come. That's most of what Small Favor is about. So let's dive in. Another year has passed since the previous book. That's not been an uncommon formula for there be 12 month, approximately 12 month gaps between books. So thinking about that, we've been with Harry Dresden for about a decade now. And everyone else growing up around him, Harry doesn't change much because wizards age slowly, but everybody else is getting older. Things are progressing. Uh, that certainly applies to Molly Carpenter, who's now in her second year as apprentice with Harry Dresden. When we first met Molly, she was this little kid, you know, no little kid anymore. So many of these books, they begin with intense action, some escape scene, a battle, something. Well, this one starts out with a battle, but it's a snowball fight. Very different. We're with Molly Carpenter and the rest of her siblings at the Carpenter house. They're outside. They're having fun in the snow and Harry is involved. Harry is having a blast with this. Partly vicariously living out what it could have been to have a normal childhood. Harry didn't have much of a childhood. Life was tough. The Carpenters have a beautiful family. They enjoy each other so much. So we get this really pleasant setting and a charity comes out and talks with them a little bit. There's some heartwarming character building that takes place. It's like, wow, this is nice. This is a very different start to a, a Dresden Files book. And then a battle happens because <laughs> it is a Dresden Files book. OK, so just when you've let your guard down, they are attacked by a bunch of little goat creatures. Yeah, goat creatures. What the heck are these things? Harry's never seen these before. He has no idea what they are. But they're everywhere. And they're attacking. And they're chasing all the carpenter children. And they're attacking Harry. And Ah! Well, Harry realizes these are fairy creatures. Not fairies, but creatures of fairy. And they start trying to defend themselves, fight back. And of course, they come out on top. And really, nobody takes any serious damage other than Harry, who manages to break his nose. Lovely. He's going to spend the rest of this book looking like a raccoon, you know, with those big black eyes that happen when you've broken your nose. I have no personal experience with that, but I've certainly seen it on people. So you can picture that for Harry. That's going to be a running gag throughout the story, how lovely he looks. The one who really comes up to play here, though, to really make a difference is Charity Carpenter. Mama Carpenter is a badass when she's protecting her kids. And what she does is she goes into the shop behind the house, brings out a nail gun, and takes out all these little goat creatures. Choo, 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 choo. They don't like nails. These are little steel bullets of death. <laughs> if you remember, creatures of fairy have a real antipathy against steel. It's like poison to them. It's very painful. So when she's shooting with these things, yeah, they're, they're getting gone. That, that does not go well for them. It kills many of them. Now, Michael wasn't here during this attack, but he does show up afterwards in the aftermath. They're kind of cleaning up. They're putting things together. They're taking care, care of poor Harry's nose. And they're discussing what the heck was that? And why? I mean, what's going on? Harry, of course, thinks, well, that uh, was probably an attack against me. Sorry, guys, but I've always got creatures after me for some reason. 
But it also could have been just a, a payback attack on all of us here because of Arctis Tor. Now, if you remember in Proven Guilty, that's where Molly was held captive by the Phobophages. And Charity and Harry, along with Murphy and Thomas, had gone in to rescue her. And there was a whole to-do that took place there. Harry used some pretty significant summer magic there, which doesn't go well with the winter court. So they may have it out for them. This might have been a, a hit related to that, trying to get back. I mean, it's been some time. It's been a couple of years since then, but still, they're probably not in the best graces of the winter court. But still, Harry's never seen these particular creatures before, so he's just guessing. He needs more answers. So he leaves the carpenters, he heads back to his apartment, goes down into the sub-basement, and reconnects with the resource tool he has there, Bob, the spirit of intellect that lives in that little skull. Now, talking it through with Bob, Bob agrees, which sounds like Arctis Tor payback. But, yeah, you need to find out what those creatures really were, Harry. I mean, they kind of sound like, like were-goats. Harry's like, were-goat? Really? Werewolf? Were-goat? No, no, come on, we gotta do better. So, guided by Bob, he starts digging into some of the old documents, manuals, books he has stored in his sub-basement. And he finds them. He finds what the creatures were. They're not were-goats. Bob had suggested maybe they were some of the wild fae. There's a lot of wild fae in fairy who aren't officially part of the winter court or the summer court. They're just out there as fairy creatures. But uh, no, it's not just wild fae here. He does find these creatures documented. They are gruffs. Yes, gruffs. You know, like the billy goat gruff? Gruffs. They're a thing. The problem is they're not part of the winter court. They're very clearly part of the summer court. And not only that, the gruffs are known to be paid enforcers for Queen Titania. They're one of the ones she will sig on people she wants taken out, wants, wants paid a lesson. So what the heck? We were just hit on by the summer she. That can't be payback for Arctis Tor. So what the heck is this about? This is a mystery that they're going to have to solve. Now, Bob does remind Harry that, you know, you're like, oh, Arctis Tor, Arctis Tor. There is a reason Queen Titania might want to take you out that has nothing to do with that. You did happen to cause the death of the former Winter Lady. Remember? Ah, uh, sorry. Summer Lady. The death of the Summer Lady. Now, that was all the way back in Summer Night. But when Aurora, the former summer lady, who had kind of gone crazy, Harry led to her terrible, miserable death, which was necessary. But still, Queen Titania, her fairy mother, might hold a grudge. So it could be this. I mean, this is years ago, but that could be why she's now sent the gruffs after him. We're going to have to find out. As Harry's going to move on to do the next thing that happens in the story, Bob does remind him, you know, you were attacked by a bunch of little gruffs. The stories about gruffs do talk about how they have older, bigger, badder brothers. That can't mean anything. <laughs> All right, what is he going to go on to? Well, he gets a phone call from Murphy. 
Remember Sergeant Murphy, Sergeant Karen Murphy with special investigations of the Chicago police department. She's calling him to come help with a case. Now, when he arrives on the scene, he's reminded and we're reminded of the fact that this is not Lieutenant Murphy who's in charge of special investigations. Last book already, we learned she'd been busted down to Sergeant because she kept ditching her responsibilities to go help Harry. So she can't really hire him right now. They need him for this case, but she's not in charge. So she does offer to pay him kind of off the books. Apparently she and a bunch of the other police officers have been throwing money into a little kitty. So if they ever needed Harry, they had some cash they could just pay him. So yeah, they need him. Here you go. Kind of unofficial consultant. So what is this case? Well, they're at a big apartment-type building that has exploded, burned to the ground now. Uh, something destroyed it. And Harry's like, um, I don't really do arson cases. I mean, that's not what I, my thing is. It's like, really? You think that's why we'd call you? Just for a case of arson? No, there's something's going on here. All right, so Harry starts investigating, and fairly soon he discovers Hellfire was involved. Now, do you remember where Hellfire comes in? Harry's experienced Hellfire in the past. It's what the spirit or the shadow of Lashiel was amping his magic up with. So the Denarians, the fallen angels, they're a source of Hellfire. They use Hellfire. Well, Hellfire was involved in some way with the destruction of this building. That can't be good. And that's definitely Harry territory then. There's magic involved. Definitely no accident. No common arson. Hmm. Can you really say common arson? I don't think that's a thing. Oh, well, my notes. So digging down into this a little more, they can't really figure out why something was done here. But they do come up with a potential motive. The building apparently is owned by gentleman, gentleman Johnny Marcone the head mobster Chicago. Also, now a baron as a signatory of the Unsealy Accords, as has happened recently in the Dresden Files. So he's kind of a big wig, both in the regular and the supernatural levels of the world. And someone just hit one of his buildings. We have more to learn. Harry suspects Okay, that might be the reason someone went after this building, but it could be connected also to what just happened to me. He doesn't believe in coincidences. So he just had this attack by the summer court with a bunch of gruffs. And now Marcone's building was taken down also with some sort of magic. These have to be related somehow. So he needs more information and he decides to use one of his uh, resources that he's tapped into a number of times, he calls for Toot Toot. Remember, Toot Toot is just a little pixie, a little fairy. But when Toot Toot shows up, he's bigger. This is interesting. Over the books, as he's interacted with Harry, he's gradually been growing. So he's still a little pixie, okay? But he's obviously, to Harry's eyes, larger than he used to be. Not only is he larger, he's wearing a uniform. Now, it's all made up of junk, but he's dressing himself like he's a soldier, and he is ready here to respond to Harry, whatever the Za-Lord needs. That's what he calls Harry, the Za-Lord. Get it? Za, 
Pizza. He's the guy who provides pizza. So he has got a title now, the Zalord. And Toot considers himself the head of the Zalord's personal guard. Harry actually learns, yeah, Toot Toot and his other fairies that he's recruited to help have been watching out for Harry, have been taking care of some things behind the scenes. For example, <laughs> this was funny, battling away Mr. That demonic cat he owns when the little brownies show up to clean his home. Remember, he's got to deal with these brownies, uh, other fairy creatures. They are his house cleaners. Mister would get involved sometimes, but Toot Toot and his guard are keeping Mister at bay so the brownies can do their job. Okay, it's an innocent little thing, but it's adorable that they're doing this for Harry. Well, Harry asks Toot to get his people to do some investigating for him. He wants to know what's going on around this building burning down. And well, before they get far into this conversation, Toot Toot is like, Harry, you need to go. You need to run. We need to run. There's something coming. Okay. Something scary, something dangerous. Harry listens. They take off. He doesn't get very far. He's literally just gone down one street and ducked down a corner and runs into Mab, the queen of air and darkness, the monarch of the winter court herself. Mab is there. And you don't just run away from Mab then. Okay, he's under the power of Queen Mab. But Mab has with her a cat. And not just any old cat. It's a Malk. Grimalkin. This big fairy cat. And what's weird is she's not like holding and petting the cat. The cat is talking for her. Yeah. For some reason, Mab is not speaking. And we get the impression there's a reason it would be bad if she actually used her own voice. Harry's curious. She will not tell him why. But she's literally just looking at him, and the words are coming out of the cat. It's a little strange way to communicate, but it is what it is. Mab is here because she wants a favor from Harry. Now, in a past book, we learned that she did something for Harry, whereby he owes her three favors. This originally goes all the way back to when he owed a debt to his godmother, the Lianenshi. And that was transferred over to Mab. And Mab is going to release him from that obligation if he does three things for her. He's already done one, but there's two left. So she's here to give him an opportunity for the second one. Now, part of this deal is she will always give him the chance to accept what she's asking or to decline it. And if he declines it, he still has those debts. At some point, he's going to have to fulfill them. But she says, I've got something I want you to do, and you're not going to deny this. You're not going to turn this down. He's like, you said I always could have, and boy, she gives it to him. He's in miserable pain for a moment. She's like, don't you ever dare say I will break my promise. Yes, you have the right to decline. But I'm telling you, you won't decline this. And what she's very clearly saying is, you need to do this, Harry, or it's going to go badly for you. In fact, you'll probably die. So trust me, you need to accept this. So in a way, she's trying to help him, she's saying. Now, he's not learned any reasons to have gobs and gobs of trust for Queen Mab, but she's got enough power to force him to listen. He also understands there's an ulterior motive here with Queen Mab when she wants to keep him alive. That makes sense. 
because she references it again in just a moment. I'll come back to it. I don't want to get out of order here. Let's talk about what she's actually asking him to do, because this is the crux of why Harry's like, hey, I don't want to have to do something. She wants him to find Marcone. Now, she shows him a vision of that building he was investigating a short while ago. And that building that exploded, he's able to see exactly what happened before and then just before the explosion. He'd already, in his investigation, saw the magic that exploded it. But here he gets to see that Marcone and his bodyguards, uh, Guard and Hendrix, had arrived at the building a little while before whatever happened to it happened. And were clearly under pressure. They were even firing at somebody as they rushed into the building. And down inside it, there was a safe house. Uh, a panic room, specially warded and shielded. So they were getting Marcone into that room because he was in danger. But then Harry sees in this vision Marcone being dragged out of the building by a number of guys, thugs, no guard, no Hendrix anymore. And then shortly after they pull away in vehicles, the building goes kablooey. Somebody has Marcone captive now. Harry is tasked to find Marcone. Now, why? Well, that's part of what he's going to have to piece together. But from Mab's perspective, this is just important. It needs to be done. The summer court is behind this in some way. And you need to save Marcone. That's what she's claiming. And it will be her second favor. Now, she does give him a second option, as opposed to just doing this because she says, you need to take care of this or the summer court is going to kill you because they know I'm coming to you to be my emissary in this matter. So they're going to try to stop you. That's why your life's in danger. But if you fulfill this task, then their reason for attacking you will be gone because they don't have to stop you if it's already done. It's kind of convoluted logic, but that's what's going on here. But she says, if instead you would except my offer that still stands to be my new winter knight. Well, then you'll have the power, the mantle of the winter knight upon you. You'll have the strength to resist anything that's being thrown at you. And we'll find some other ways to deal with Marcone and what's going on. Harry's like, uh, no, that's a big nope from me. He's still thinking about Lloyd Slate, the former winter knight, who he knows now is imprisoned in Arctis Tor, being tortured every day. And it's like, yeah, I, I know how things end up for the Winter Nights. I want none of that. The time then with Mab ends as she reveals, you know, I've taken enough of your time. You should be moving along now. Because the danger that Toot Toot was talking about wasn't me. And then poof, she and Grimalkin are gone. And sure enough, here comes some more gruffs. Now the gruffs that he sees when he first looks, it's two of them. And they're bigger than these little things that attacked the Carpenter House. They're more like hairy size. They also happen to have submachine guns. So these are definitely next level gruffs now. Bob had mentioned bigger older brothers. And these two open up on Harry. He just goes running. He's using his shield bracelet to protect himself from bullets. Because wizards get hit by bullets. They die like everybody else. And there's some running and fighting and quick thinking. And Harry being Harry, he does manage to come out on top. It was a little harder than the first time, but he gets out of this mess with the gruffs. 
When that is all over, he runs into a pleasant coincidence. He gets picked up by his half-brother, Thomas, who pulls up in his new vehicle, which happens to be this big old tricked-out sweet Hummer. He runs through things with Thomas while they're driving in his new ride. And in this little conversation they have, we just learn a couple of world things. Uh, one, the fight between the White Council and the Red Court vampires. It's still a thing. That war is still on, but it's not real hot right now. There haven't been any recent battles. There's been no ceasefire or end of hostilities, but no current action is happening. That has given the wardens of the White Council the time to kind of catch up on some backlog. There's a lot of rogue warlocks out there they've been having to deal with. Harry, of course, is one of those wardens, but he's not real comfortable with how they handle warlocks. Most of these are like young teenagers who've used magic without any teaching like Molly had done, and they've gone dark. They've gone the way of the, the dark side of the forest, okay? And once you use black magic like that, you usually cannot be brought back, so there's one price, one punishment, death. So the wardens are going around killing a lot of wizards. The head of the wardens, Captain Lucio, is familiar with Harry's hard feelings about that mode of operation. So he's been kind of left out of what's going on these days. He's not been engaged in his warden responsibilities. Of course, that means other wardens are having to pick up the slack for him. So he's maybe not as popular with some of the wardens as he used to be. So those are some little tidbits we pick up through this conversation. As they get to the next destination they're headed to, suddenly they have a shotgun pulled on them. Oh, what the? Well, it turns out it's Fix. Now, we're familiar with Fix. This is the Summer Night, going all the way back to the book Summer Night, where the previous Summer Night had been murdered. Fix became the new Summer Night. Fix was somebody that Harry had helped in that story as a regular human. And Fix was part of a group of people he was helping, including Lily. Lily and Fix were part of the same group of friends. Lily has become the new winter, er, uh, winter, summer, blah, the new summer lady, and Fix, her summer night. So they're both on good terms with Harry, except they're also part of the summer court. It's just Fix here, though. And why does he have them in straight on with the double barrels of a shotgun? Well, he's aware that Queen Mab approached Harry. And if Harry has accepted the position of Winter Knight, which everyone knows Mab wants for him, everyone in Fairy knows, then Fix and Harry will have become enemies. Remember, last Summer Night died because of the Winter Night. And that's usually how Summer Nights die, apparently. The Winter Night takes them out. And Harry is way more powerful than Fix even when Fix has the power of fairy behind him. If Harry, as this powerful wizard, now also has become the Winter Knight, oh yeah, Harry's a dead man. So he's got him in his sights. But no, talks him down. I didn't take anything like that. I, I'm not. And, and if you ever pull a gun on me again, you better be ready to use it because I don't, I don't go for that. Uh-uh, that's not cool. <laughs> well, why is Fix here? Partly it was the Winter Knight stuff. But more specifically, Fix is here to try to warn Harry off of this business at all. Don't get involved with the, with the Winter Court. Don't work on Mav's request. There are things going on behind the scenes you can't even understand. Yeah, she wants you to be her emissary to find Marcone. You're going to end up dead. Okay, this is not business you should have anything to do with. 
they're not telling you everything. I'm like we're we're dealing with the winter and summer court. I mean, duh. That's kind of how Harry feels. But Fix leaves. He said his piece, and Harry, turning to Thomas, shares. I'm pretty sure Fix was actually here purely to help. But the way he talked, that was the best he could do right now. He's under a gash, a restriction, probably from Queen Titania herself, that he can't say certain things to me. We've encountered that before back in Proven Guilty, the rules of the Fae. So he might want to help, but he can't help. So he did what he could, which was make a bunch of threats and try to nudge him in certain directions. Now, one of the directions that nudged him to was to remember that in previous experiences with the Summer Court, Harry ended up being made an Esquire of the Summer Court. He was honored for his behavior and contributions. And with that, he was given a token, a symbol of his being an Esquire, and the right to ask at some point in the future to ask a boon of Queen Titania to have a, a request answered. Huh, okay. He wants me to know that. He wants me to remember that. Okay, well, there that maybe that's going to come in handy at some point. But this also jogs for Harry. Okay, duh, I've got this token of the summer court that I keep with me. This is a tracking device. If I've got this, they know where I am. This is how the gruffs are finding me. This is how Fix found me so easy. I gotta do something about this. So this leads us to the next part of the story where he figures out what to do with it. And it's hilarious because he goes back to his apartment down into his sub-basement where things are very deeply warded. And down in there, his little token can't be tracked. If he goes anywhere else, though, they'll know right away. So he's got to figure out a way to throw them off the scent. So he gets Mr. down there in the sub-basement with him. He takes the token, he puts it in a little bag of catnip, kind of like making it into a cat toy, and puts it out there for Mr. to play with. Mr.'s batting this thing all around and playing like cats do. But the thing is, in this room is where he has this big model of little Chicago that he can use to track people and things around the city. It's magically tied to the real Chicago. Harry does this big uber magic spell that ties the token to little Chicago. So now anytime Mr. whacks it near little Chicago as he's bouncing it around the room, it's going to pop up on the senses of those tracking him as in that spot in Chicago, not little Chicago, in wherever it was touched in the real Chicago. So it's like Harry is showing up over here and then over there and then somewhere totally different. And they don't know where he is. They can't find him because it's going to drive them crazy. It's genius. It's also hilarious because now the cat's just playing with a toy. So with that managed for a little while, Gruffs might not be all over him. We can get back to the Marcone case. So he's going to do some more research by heading over to Marcone's headquarters. If you remember, he has these new fancy headquarters he built not too long ago that are an executive health club, a day spa, a really nice swank place that you can go. And it's it's Marcone's dirty business headquarters, too. And in this place, he's welcomed in. He has a membership. Marcone kind of feels I give him a membership. Maybe he'll be a little kinder to me. It's kind of a little fun they're having with each other. 
who does he find in charge? Well, not Marcone. Marcone's missing. He finds Ms. Demeter. Now, Ms. Demeter, we've met before. This is the name she's going by now. We know her as Helen Beckett. Okay, We've seen her in a couple of different books before. And we know she works for Marcone. In fact, she's very high placed. And at the moment, she's in charge in this health club. Harry has some conversations with her trying to get information on where Marcone is or how he might be helped to find Marcone. And she doesn't, she won't even admit Marcone's missing. Very much beat around the bush conversation. Before he can get any further past her fences and off-puttishness, a thug shows up. One of Marcone's high-level goons named Torelli. And Torelli's got a couple of lesser goons with him. And they're in here to get information from Demeter. They want all the stuff on the books and where lots of names of, of details of all the business of Marcone. They want this stuff. Basically, Torelli is making a move to take over. There's no Marcone here. I'm the logical one to be in charge. Demeter does not uh, just cave. So these guys are going to get rough and they're pulling their guns. And Harry's like, oh, wait a second. I don't want to be part of any of this, but I need her. So back off. And of course, they're not going to back up. They're like, who the heck are you? And they pull their guns on him. So Harry goes off and there's a battle and he takes care of the two goons. And then he's in a bad situation with the gun right on him of Torelli's. Harry's dead man, except Thomas shows up right at the nick of time. Thomas is a knack for doing that. So Thomas shows up, bails him out. Torelli and his goons limp away. And now Ms. Demeter, Helen, is a little more willing to talk. Now, she's still not just going to open up to everything she knows, but she does give Harry an address. It's like, if you're you're going to try to help finding Marcone, and you're promising me you're not out to do something to him, you really want to help, check out this address. She won't tell him why, but check out this address. All right, well, he's got something. It's a lead. So he goes to that address, and who does he find when he gets there? Thomas and him go to this place, and it's where Hendrix and Guard are hiding out. Now, he'd last seen them going into the building with Marcone, but then Marcone was drug out of that building without them. Well, the two of them had been overcome, a um, little worse for the wear. Hendrix, just bruised and stuff, seems fine, but Guard was literally disemboweled in the attack. Yeah, disemboweled, and she's fine. I mean, sort of. Harry goes upstairs to where Guard is in a bedroom dealing with her injuries. Her gut's open and the intestines are hanging out, and she's literally sticking them back in physically and trying to glue her wound shut with super glue. It looks like it hurts. How is she doing this? Well, she's not just a human, okay? Guard is a freaking Valkyrie. She is supernatural, but... She still knows pain. This clearly is not feeling so great. So Harry's watching her do this and trying to talk to her about Marcone. Tell me what happened, who took him. And, and she's, you know, she works for Marcone. She technically works for a different security agency, but she's on assignment to Marcone. And so she needs to be loyal to Marcone. So she doesn't just want to spill the beans here. But Harry convinces her that it's in Marcone's interest for her to talk to Harry. 
Now, she doesn't want to just say where he's at, but she does start to say, okay, here's here's what's happening. Marcone has been taken by another signatory of the Unsealy Accords, and that's a breach of the Accords. So, Harry, what you could do to really help is to, as a representative of the, of the White Council, which is another signatory on the Unsealy Accords, you could challenge this breach and intervene force those who have taken Marcone to be held accountable for this action and to make this right. Harry's like, um, yeah, but again, you could just tell me where he is, who took him, and I'll just deal with that. <sighs> this isn't what she wants to do, but fine. Okay, so she's about to tell him when the house is attacked. Literally crashing in to the bedroom is a denarian. You know, one of the fallen angels. The blackened denarians. Ah, and it very quickly takes out guard again by landing right on her stomach with the wound and coming at Harry. And there's a, there's a battle that takes place. In the meantime, there's a battle happening downstairs too with Thomas and Hendrix because they've been attacked by denarian as well. It's uh, not, not cool and not good that they're back. We were kind of hoping the denarians might be a done thing when the shadow of Lashiel went away and and everything was clear. Well, no, the Denarians are back. A furious battle takes place involving multiple Denarians. And these guys are no joke. We've tussled with them before. They are hard news. But our group does manage to escape. I mean, Guard is unconscious by that time. She never had a chance to tell Harry who took Marcone, but... Uh, you know, put the things together. It's the Denarians, okay? The Denarians are taking Marcone, which probably means the head Denarian, Nicodemus, is behind all of this. Harry's got to do something to help guard and get her to a place where she can heal. The logical place would be to take uh, take him to St. Mary's. That's the, the place with Father Fort Hill. Denarians don't like churches, so they'd be safe there, but he's like, They'd know I'm going to go there. They're probably watching that. I need to pick somewhere else. So he goes to the carpenter's house. Now, again, Michael Carpenter, Knight of the Cross. They kind of have some extra protection there. Turns out Michael already figured the Denarians were in town. He's not surprised to see Harry pull up like this because Sonya is there too. Sonya's the other Knight of the Cross. There usually are three, but in a previous book when we met the Denarians... The third one, Shiro, sacrificed himself for Harry, and Harry has Shiro's sword, one of those swords of the cross, and he's supposed to give it to someone when he knows it's the right time. That's what he was told by Shiro, and he hasn't sensed anything yet, so he still has this sword, but the other two are together here. That means God arranged for Sonya to show up in Chicago. Now he was going to be needed, and well... Denarians, that makes sense. So at this point in the story, we know it's the Denarians that took Marcone. But Harry doesn't think they're out to get rid of him. I mean, you could conclude uh, they don't like that he's a unseated lord who got to sign on to the Unsealia Accords, and so they just want to get rid of him. Harry's like, no, no, Nicodemus doesn't think that way. He's pretty sure they want to recruit Marcone. They want to give him a coin. They want to turn him into one of them. Well, that's not good. He's picturing now Marcone 
with the power of a fallen angel or even becoming totally corrupted as one of these uh, Denarian creatures and, and then having all the power that Marcone holds. No, no, let's not do that. So Harry decides to take guards' advice and forward this information to the White Council to see if they will step in regarding the violation of the Unseelie Accords. He communicates with Lucio, his captain, the head of the Wardens. And Lucio is like, we could care less about something going on between Marcone and the Denarians. The White Council does not need to get involved in that, especially when we're already involved with this war with the Red Corps vampires. This could start another war. We cannot take that. So Harry implies from his conversation and communication he've had with Queen Mab that she might withdraw her support from the White Council which is how they have access through the never-never to travel anywhere in the world safely, she might take that away. I mean, I mean, she wouldn't break her promise, but what if she, like, made it known to other creatures of Fae, like the Wild Fae, that she wouldn't really do anything if they started hassling the wizards? And Lucio's like, this would be terrible. We can't let that happen. Okay, fine, fine. I will... I will communicate with the White Council what you've shared. And if they agree to step in, Harry, that means they'd arrange for someone to come and mediate the circumstance. Who would you recommend for that? And he recommends the Archive, that creature of Supernatural who's also just a little girl, a human girl, but within her rests all the knowledge, all written information of all of history of mankind. And knowledge is power. So this is a very powerful supernatural being resting within the shell of just a human girl, young little girl that he nicknamed Ivy in a previous book, if you remember. Archive, Ivy, it's cute. All right, so he's put that message out there. He's going to hope that's going to work. The next scene, Harry's off to Mac's pub. You know, Mac makes a really good brew and the pub being that neutral ground, according to the Un Unseelie Accords. He's got a meeting with Murphy there, though. And that's just a good hangout place. It's a safe spot. Murphy's waiting, looking at her watch, going, dude, you're late. But when he gets there, they have a couple of brews. They're talking, getting up to speed on everything that's happened so far. And while they're conversing, another gruff shows up. Now, to be clear, not an attack. This is neutral territory. The gruffs wouldn't break that. But this is not a bunch of little gruffs showing up. This is one really big gruff. Like he has trouble fitting in the door. His horns start taking out the ceiling fans because he's just so big. And he comes over to Harry and basically says, we should step outside. <laughs> I mean, they have some words and it's clear that he doesn't, care for Harry, and more importantly, he doesn't care for what Harry's been doing to his little brothers. Now, Harry's killed a lot of his little brothers, but he's like, hey, they were there to kill me. What do you expect? But the gruff, using very formal, old-fashioned language, explains, okay, we're just serving the will of Queen Titania. It's not personal. We've been ordered to take care of you, but then you're cheating. And here he has an issue with Harry having used steel. 
because he's done it in a couple occasions now. Remember the nail gun, the charity used, and, and then he used another version of seal and with the second attack, you know, because they don't like that stuff. It's it's dangerous to them. And he's like, no one would would do that to creatures of the Fae. This is just wrong. You need to be dealt with. So I'm here to take care of you myself. He's personally offended at how Harry has treated his brethren. Now, Harry's bacon is saved here when Murphy steps in brilliantly. And she gets the gruff to back off. She literally says, you cannot do anything to him because he is under my protection. I am an officer of the law here in Chicago, of the ruling authorities in this place, and I have promised to protect those who are under my domain and authority. Okay, she's a police officer, serve and protect. Okay, that's the deal. But she speaks in language that the gruff would understand, and he's like, my my issue is not with you, it, it's with him. It's like, if you do anything to him, your issue is with me. And convolutedly talks him around to understand he could make a big mess for himself and even get in trouble with Queen Titania if he does this because it could be per perceived as breaking the Unsealy Accords, even if they do it outside. Fine, he leaves, but I'll be back. Goes all kind of Terminator on him. In the meantime, though, Murphy got him out of this pickle of the moment, and then she says, and so... Uh, I'm with you the rest of the way, Harry. Okay, uh, no more leaving me out of this stuff. You are clearly in over your head. You need me watching your back. So let's go. Harry, Murphy, they get together then with Thomas and Molly and kind of game plan. What are we going to do? How do we move through this now? We've still got to deal with the gruffs, but we've got the Marcone situation and we've got the Denarians. Uh, what do we do? Well, they kind of come up with a plan. Okay, Thomas is going to go and try to do things to keep the Gruffs busy. The other three are going to go on the Marcone and Denarian business case because those two are obviously directly connected. They're first going to head over to the Carpenter house. On the way there, they're sideswiped by a car, slammed into a snowbank, and then they're being shot at. And it's those couple of Torelli goons that were waiting for them. Now, they managed to take these guys out. Mouse is helpful. Mouse, who was at the Carpenter house, comes out to help. Uh, but in the, dealing with these two guys, unfortunately, Murphy is shot. Now, she's going to be okay, but not immediately okay. They get her into the Carpenter home. Charity has some field medic experience, so she's able to patch her up. It's like, no hospital. We can't afford that kind of official attention right now. So she's going to rest there, recover from her wounds. She's out of the picture, so Michael is now going to step in at a higher level. That's going to become important. But to figure out what to do directly right now, Harry's going to have a conversation with Guard, who's already here at the Carpenter House resting. It's like it's becoming a medical center right now. Talking with Guard, he says, you know, knowing how you operate, I'm willing to bet you have blood samples on everyone of importance in Marcone's operation, including Marcone, because we know if you have someone's blood, you can magically track them. And you never know when you might need to do something. She's very close-lipped about that, but he gets her to admit, yes, yes, I do. Well, where are the blood samples? Okay, the blood samples are kept in a locker at Union Station. So I need to get to Union Station and get those. She tells him how to find it, what the code is, all that. 
off he and Michael go to get there and try to find these blood samples. And Mouse comes along for the ride. Of course, nothing can be easy. It's not like they show up at Union Station, go to the locker and retrieve it. Nope. While they're there, some sort of fairy attack starts. And it's clearly a mystical thing that's happening. The lights go out. There's all sorts of supernatural stuff happening. And then a gruff attacks. And it's that same big old one that he'd seen at Max Pub. Long story short, Harry does overcome the gruff. And could kill him. Chooses not to. He spares his life. He said, I, I have no real reason to, to kill you. You've clearly stopped now and are not going to come after me anymore. The gruff then agrees and leaves of his own free will. But he shares his elder brother is going to kill him. Harry's like, what? Another one? How big is this freaking, is it going to be Godzilla gruff? I mean, what the heck? <laughs> oh, no. Getting through all this, Harry learns, though, that the White Council did agree to his request for intervention. Because as he gets out of this setting, there, just arriving is Captain Lucio, along with Ivy and her bodyguard, Kincaid. And so now let's get out of here together and figure out what we're going to do. Well, unfortunately, the only vehicle they have is a pickup truck. They can't all fit inside the cab of the pickup truck. I didn't mention earlier, but Chicago, through all of this, is having like one of the worst winter circumstances, very unseasonable winter circumstances going on so there's a lot of snow and it's cold and it's nasty well poor harry and mouse get to ride in the back of the pickup truck as they make it back and they head back to harry's place he's pretty miserable by the time they get there gets them inside and he just kind of collapses on his couch you guys can take the bed and and he's out he wakes up during the night to see lucio in front of his fireplace kind of taking a sponge bath She's naked to the waist, and in the flicker of the firelight, she's cleaning off. And he's like, whoa, she is gorgeous. He'd never thought about that before. Now, just take that back a little bit. Lucio is actually a very ancient wizard, captain of the wardens. But back in a previous book, Deadbeat, her body was killed. And her, she was swapped into a different body. So she has a very young, apparently beautiful body that she resides in right now. She notices Harry looking. And she doesn't freak out or anything. She's kind of like, like what you see. It's pretty apparent she's flirting with Harry Dresden. Interesting. This is a dynamic we'd not necessarily pictured between the two of them. So we have a few comments. A little bit of this flirting stuff going on. But when you move past that... We learn from Lucio, okay, a parlay has been arranged between the Denarians and the White Council. Now, you, Harry, are the representative the White Council wants to go to this parlay, and I've been assigned as your second. He's like, really? You? Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, and she even says, I, I figured you'd prefer that than me sending Morgan. You know, good old Warden Morgan. Yeah, that, that's probably a good call. Nicodemus... And the White Council, they're going to have this parlay and the archive will be there to mediate. And this is going to take place at the Shed Aquarium. Big famous aquarium there in Chicago down on Lake Michigan. I've been there in real life. It's a cool place. So that's where they're going to meet for this. 
and we'll talk through the issues and let the archive decide how things need to be resolved. So the event does take place, and Harry ends up in conversation with Nicodemus. This is protected by the rules of the Ancelia Court, so they can't fight each other here. They actually have to talk and try to work things out. And Nicodemus and Harry kind of step to the side a little bit, have some private conversation. Harry learns some interesting tidbits here, including that there, according to Nicodemus, there are those within the church that keep releasing the captured black indenarians back out into the wild. It's like, that's how we keep doing what we're doing. That's how come they can never stop us, us fallen angels, because every time they get coins, somebody else then lets them loose again. So there's something that the church wants to see continue to happen. You should realize that, Harry. Also, Nicodemus reveals he's aware of this Black Council thing that Harry and some of the other wizards have been working to figure out, that there's a Black Council behind the scenes. Now, Nicodemus didn't use the term Black Council. Harry does. He's like, yeah, okay, there, there's something happening. I am aware of that. We denarians have nothing to do with that. That is something different with different motives. I'm sure it's something you need to be paying attention to, but that's not us, okay? And the conversation seems to be going on and on. He's like, yeah, yeah, we have Marcone. Uh, I suppose we need to figure out what we're going to do with that. But Harry figures out eventually Nicodemus is stalling. He's taken me away from the rest of them to have this private talk, and we keep going on and on and on. And then light bulb goes off. This isn't about fixing this. They want the archive. As that thought strikes him, Denarians attack. Like a whole bunch of other ones show up. There's a frantic battle. It literally covers four chapters. The next four chapters is all these battle scenes around the Shed Aquarium. And in the end, the Denarians that are left get away with Ivy. Kincaid's been hurt, and now what do we do? Things are going to ramp up pretty quick to finish this story. And this is actually only two-thirds of the way through the book, but really it's going to go pretty quick the rest of the way. Because, see, they can't let the Denarians have Ivy. Because he knows what they're going to do. You know, they took Marcone to convert Marcone. They want to use him. Well, what if they convert the archive, that literal supernatural power of all the written knowledge of mankind that will be evil like you've never known before we have to find a way to stop this so harry comes up with a plan and he contacts nicodemus and he offers a trade i will give you all of the coins that we have captured because they have quite a few now i will arrange that all of the captured coins are turned over to you if you give back the archive Nicodemus is like, I, I don't care. Eventually, we'll get those back anyways. So Harry sweetens the pot. And I will throw in a sword of the cross. Remember, Harry has the one from Shiro. Nicodemus is like, oh, those swords of the cross are real pains in the butt to these guys. Again and again, that's what's killing Denarians. So he agrees. For the sword and those coins, we can get together and make a swap. All right, so they're going to ha have a meeting to make this exchange. Just after that decision, there's a conversation between Michael and Harry. <coughs> Excuse me. Michael kind of forces this conversation. And it comes from concern that he and Molly had in watching Harry over the past couple of hours, day, the way he was talking and behaving in a certain way gave them a suspicion something wasn't right in his head. 
And what's discovered here is Harry realizes he no longer has his blasting rod. He had his blasting rod at the beginning of the story, and then it was gone. And he hasn't even thought of the blasting rod. Like, it doesn't exist. And he realizes somebody got in his head, messed with his memories. That's really concerning when someone can do that to a wizard, and they don't even know what happened. What does that mean? Ramifications will be determined in a little bit. Right now, we got to get busy for this meeting with Nicodemus. They don't know where this is going to happen. So they try to figure where would Nicodemus be? Where would his base, where would he have taken the archive so no one else could take her back? And really talking with Lucio and everyone else around the table, they figure out there are certain nexuses of power around Chicago and some places much more powerful than others. Like the Shed Aquarium was a power place. That's probably why they wanted to meet there. But the most powerful spot that would also be the most defensible spot is actually an island offshore, uh, something kind of known as the Bermuda Triangle of Lake Michigan, a spot where ships go missing. There is a, a nexus of ley lines that just really all converge in this one spot. That's got to be where they would hide. So soon enough, it's time for this meeting, and it's just going to be Harry with Sonia and Michael going to it. And they are hoping they were right on where it is because they have set some plans in place to help stuff come together. But if they'd guessed the wrong location, none of this is going to work and they're going to be in a world of trouble. Harry has the coins and the Sword of the Cross with him and off they go. They're met by one of the Denarians who is here to escort them to the meeting place. And she leads them to a boat and out they go into Lake Michigan. Harry's like, yes, we guessed right. This is going to work. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. They have some difficulties getting to this island. It's obvious some people, some creatures don't want them to get there. But they do make it. And they are guided up a path up the hill to a lighthouse that's up at the top. An old abandoned lighthouse. And Harry is struck by this feeling as they're walking up. Like he's been here before. Like he knows this place intimately. He swears he could blindfold himself and not trip. It's like, I know exactly every inch of this. How can that be? I've never been here. This is really freaking him out. It's like deja vu at a next level. Something's going on. But once they're at the top, at the lighthouse, they find Nicodemus and the rest of them waiting. A bunch of other denarians. And yes, there's Ivy in a nasty little magical cage from which she can't get free. And she's clearly miserable. They've clearly been tormenting her. After some tense, pretend civil conversation, Nicodemus tries to renege on the deal. Shock! And a battle ensues as they try to take the sword and the coins by force. And we get to meet some more nasty denarians. Some of them we already know. Some, this is the first they're named, first they're new. The one that's perhaps the most interesting is Thorned Namshiel, who we learn is a very skilled magic user, not just a fallen angel. Great, just what we need. The power of a fallen angel and I'm a wizard. Yay! Fortunately, Harry is a pretty decent wizard, too. And one of the things he accomplishes, with a little help from his friends, is finishing off Thorned Namshiel. That one's dead. There's a lot of fighting and battling going on. They've managed to overcome some of these denarians while others ran off. 
Of course, that means they're just going to get reinforcements. They have people here, too. They have soldiers. They hired a bunch of armed mercenaries, so they'll be back with help. We got to go. So they free Ivy, and they find Marcone. They free Marcone as well, but then the reinforcements arrive. Things get back pretty nasty again. In fact, now it's starting to look like this might be their last hurrah. They're running out of space. They're running out of things they can do. Harry can only do so much as a wizard, too, you know. And when it's just like Custer's last stand here now, you hear music. Along with the of chopper blades. And coming up over the back of a hillside is a Huey, a big repurposed helicopter with, well, guard flying it which is why that music was great, because that was Wagner's uh, flight, The Ride of the Valkyries. And Hendrix is in the side with a rotating minigun, just like you see in the movies. Is great. He does a world of damage right away, and it drives the Denarians back again. Okay, dropping down from the helicopter then is a harness. Come on, we got to get you guys up to the chopper and let's go, because there's no place they can land here. Quickly, as fast as they can, they're getting people up until everyone is up into the helicopter except Michael and Harry. And Michael holds out the harness to Harry as, as Michael's guarding with his weaponry. And Harry looks up and he sees Guard looking down from the helicopter, looking at Michael with that face. Now, what am I talking about? Guard is a Valkyrie. One of the special abilities of a Valkyrie is to see when somebody is going to die. He saw that face before at him at a previous time where she said, he's going to die. And he didn't die, but it was because, and she explained it later, it was because specifically Marcone then did something to intervene, which set aside the path of what was going to happen, where Harry was definitely going to die. So seeing that at Michael right now, Harry's like, I got to do something. I can't let Michael die. So he pushes the harness back. Says, no, you go first. He's changed what was going to happen. Michael starts arguing. Harry's like, go, we don't have time for this. Okay. Michael gets in the harness, starts getting hauled up. And he's about halfway up when two of the Denarians appear out of nowhere. They were hidden under a veil. And they're right there with guns. And they shoot up at the helicopter. They riddle Michael with bullets and they're shooting the chopper, and it has to pull away, flying off with Michael's limp body hanging under the helicopter. That's a tough moment. And then Harry is alone with these Denarians. He, you know, uses his magic at them right away and, and flees, but he's now stuck on an island with enemies, with no way off, no... What can he do now? He's trapped. He uses some particularly bad strong fire magic at one of these denarians does quite a number on that one and then he senses that triggered something and he's like ah oh, crap because what he senses is he just triggered with the use of a strong amount of fire magic the summer court to know where he was again just kind of being on the down low they hadn't been able to find him for a while now but now something's here he like he can sense it Boom. Something has arrived. You know who it's got to be. It's got to be that older brother that he was warned about. The old, the eldest gruff. It's got to be here. So Harry, he is run and 
hit in one of the, the outbuildings down here, these abandoned shelters here on this island. And he's got a denarian just outside looking for him, trying to find him, when he hears the eldest brother Gruff outside telling this denarian to get out of his way. His his business is not with this thing. He needs to get to the wizard. Well, the denarian wants the wizard. He's like, no, I'm not. No, go away. I'm busy. And the eldest brother, Gruff, wipes the floor with this denarian. That one's done. That was Magog. Magog's Magoggle. He's gone. It was like effortless. This is not a good sign. So he's coming closer and closer. Harry can hear him. He's like, oh my goodness, it is Godzilla Gruff. And turns out, no, he's no bigger than five feet tall. Little little goat man in a hood, hoodie cloak, got a staff, but he's a badass. Harry sees he's wearing three faded purple stoles. He recognizes those stoles. That's a, a symbol of office from senior members of the White Council. Like only the most powerful of wizards wear those. He's got three of them. That means in past times, he has defeated three of the most powerful magic users in the world. And now he's here for Harry. Ay, ay, ay. But Harry actually engages in some discourse with him. Has a reasonable conversation with eldest brother Gruff. Things he hadn't been able to do with the others. And he learns here that there's no true desire to kill Harry. That the eldest brother actually rather admires Harry for what he's done, what he's accomplished. But he has orders. They were ordered by Queen Titania to stop him, to take him out. And now he's very specific here. He must fight Harry so long as they both remain on this field of battle. Ding! For Harry. He pulls out his token and requests his boon. The gruff has revealed... You know, I, I just might have misspoke. I'm not sure he pulls out the token because he had done that thing in Little Chicago with it. I'm not sure he still has it. But he does still have this boon that he has that Queen Titania, the summer court, would need to answer to. And he, he says, you know, how about if I use my boon at this time? And the eldest brother, Gruff, says, now you need to take such things seriously, but if it's within my power, yes, I believe I would have to honor that boon on behalf of the summer court. And Harry's like, okay, and, and just for clarity, you said you you only have to attack me so long as we are together here on the field of battle. So once I'm off the field of battle, you're off the field of battle, I'm safe? And he's like, that is how I understand it would be. So he says, okay, all right, I request my boon. And this is great. I'm going to read it specifically. I want you to get me a donut, a real genuine Chicago donut, not some glamour donut, an actual one freshly made. The response from elder, eldest brother Gruff shows some personality. He says, likest thou jelly within thy donut? And Harry just goes all in, nay, but pray with sprinkles pun instead, and frosting of white. Okay then, eldest brother Gruff, he says, this is the last that you'll be able to do, you know. I'll have to, you know, if I, if I meet you again here, 
there's no other way around. And Harry's like, I know, I know you've stretched things as far as you could. He's sensing the guy's trying to give him an out, but he's bound by certain rules. Off eldest brother Gruff goes. He's going to go get that donut. Freshly made. So this could take a little while. Harry's got to get off this island. He has a shot. How to get off the island. Wait a second. We came by a boat. He heads back down to the docks to see if he can get and find the find the boat. Again, trying to avoid any Denarians who might be looking for him, any of the soldiers that are around. He manages to make it down there, finds the boat, gets in it, goes to turn it on. The key is missing. Why would someone take the key? He's like, I'm thinking back to the one who brought us. I don't remember her taking the key. Then he hears a voice behind him looking for this. It's Nicodemus. Everyone's out there searching for Harry. Nicodemus, the smart one, went to the boat. He figured Harry would show up here eventually. Now Nicodemus says something to Harry, but he doesn't actually say it to Harry. It's clear he's talking to the shadow of Lashiel in Harry's head and basically says to paralyze him so we can deal with them later. Now, from the earlier conversation in the Shed Aquarium, Harry had picked up that Nicodemus had no idea the shadow of Lashiel was gone from his head. He thought she's still in there. He didn't dismiss that knowledge from Nicodemus's head, and now it pays off, because when he, the order is given to Lashiel to paralyze him, Harry goes ahead and locks up. He plays possum. He's been frozen. Nicodemus lets his guard down, turns his back, and then Harry attacks. It's perfect. Harry gets the drop on Nicodemus and physically starts to struggle with him and grabs his noose. Now, he always wears this noose around his neck. It's part of who he is. It's part of what he has to do. And it's the one thing he's vulnerable to. Harry had learned that in the past. So he takes it and cinches it up and he is strangling. He's choking Nicodemus with this noose. It is not going well. Nicodemus is trying to fight, but he's dying. He's running out of breath. He's suffocating here. And perhaps might have died, but Deirdre, another of the Denarians, one of the ones we've known for the longest time because she's Nicodemus's daughter, she shows up with more soldiers to stop it. Gunshots. He has to let go of Nicodemus, who falls overboard, and Harry gets out of there with the boat. He does have the key now. He gets away, but the boat is riddled with bullets. He gets out towards the reef area that's around the island, and he's quickly sinking. He has to jump out of the boat before he goes down with it, makes it to the one of the reefs, the coral sections, and he's just there, stranded now, and hoping that the last part of his plan he'd put together pays off now. Because... Not knowing what might possibly happen, we had the helicopter backup planned. We also have Thomas out here with a boat. His boat. Remember, Thomas owns a boat. Thomas comes to the rescue and gets Harry onto the boat just in time because Deirdre and more soldiers had showed up too to try to finish off Harry now. They manage to get rid of Deirdre. The soldiers turn away and they head off to Chicago. Not just Thomas and Harry, but Murphy. Still banged up, but she's on the boat, can manage a gun. So they rush off to Chicago, and the curse is ended. The Gruffs will be leaving him alone now. Back in Chicago, Harry rushes to the hospital, finding Michael in surgery. And he's like, how could this have happened? I mean, he feels horrible. He's the one that put him up that harness. And now he might die. He goes to the, the chapel of the hospital. 
not that he's a highly religious man, but it's a place he can think. He can be alone. While in there, a custodian comes in doing a little cleaning and starts talking with him. Kind of helps him process. How could this have happened to Michael? What might be going on? What actions God might actually be involved with? And he's like, this guy knows some stuff. And he turns to him to talk more directly. And the guy's gone. Just like he vanished. His custodian card's still there. But the guy's gone. And then Mab shows up with Grimalkin still as her mouthpiece. And from Mab, we find out, oh yeah, that guy? Yeah, that was an archangel. That was Uriel, known as the Watchman. She's like, yeah, of all those archangels, that one's not too bad. I kind of like that one. Apparently an angel has taken a little special interest in Harry now. Harry had also experienced earlier in the fight something we didn't talk about when it happened, but a little extra power had come out. Some new power, not hellfire. Something different. Um, something he didn't know where it came from. And she confirms, yeah, uh, that, that was that angel. It's kind of nice. I see he's kind of upgraded you a little bit. That had been something that had happened with his uh, blasting rod. So now I'm actually pondering my own thoughts. It might not have been on the island. It was something that happened earlier in the book. But that was part of why she took the blasting rod. That was something he wasn't ready to use yet. Plus, the use of the blasting rod was going to attract the summer court more quickly. So she's confirming for him, yeah, I took your blasting rod. And tampered with your head so you wouldn't know it was gone. I did it to save you because I couldn't have the summer court find you that fast. I couldn't let the gruffs catch you that easily. I needed you to survive so you could deal with those denarians, especially that thorn and Amshiel. I had a bone to pick with that one. So thank you. That one's gone. But remember, I do want you to be around long enough so that you will accept the winter night. She still has plans for Harry to be that next night. And she's going to do her best to see that he makes it that far. That's the story. Some final thoughts here. One of the terms that Harry coins in this one, oh, coined, no pun intended. For the Denarians, he starts calling them nickelheads. I love that. You know, the coin to the forehead in a sense. Well, that's where they're other eye shows up, but nickel heads. It's great. Another thing, they recovered plenty of blackened denarians as a result of this, all the battling they had over the last few days. The church has a bunch of these coins again. Hopefully this time they don't make them back out into the general public. But of all the ones they killed and all the coins they recovered, the one for thorned Namshiel was lost. I mean, Harry took care of that one, again, with his friends, but the coin fell to the ground. Nobody picked it up. Nobody recovered it. Nobody knows where it's at. He's talked to everybody. He even goes and talked to Marcone and his people. Nobody saw the coin. It's gone. That's bound to come back badly. That was a fallen angel we did not want to have to see again because it's lucky they were able to conquer him. He was nasty. Now maybe he'll be back. Harry has been given Michael's sword now. So now he's the holder of two of the Swords of the Cross. Sonya is the only active Knight of the Cross now. Does this mean there's no more Michael? Michael does survive the surgery, but he's not going to be holding a sword anymore. Things have changed for Michael. We'll learn more about that later, but wow, how much changed? Will we even have him as a main character anymore in the stories? To be seen. 
Harry talked with Lucio right at the end of the book about that feeling he'd had on the island. Like, like it was so familiar, like I know everything about this. And she mentions, oh, your sight is coming in finally. That was sight with a capital S. And he learns, oh yeah, that's something wizards have, a little precognition. Things that are going to be of significance in your future, you'll sense, you'll, you'll get a feel earlier. He's like, everybody gets this? I never heard of this. Why didn't anyone tell me about this? She says, because we can never tell it to the young wizards. Or they'll constantly be thinking, oh, see, I know these things. This is my sight. No, no, no. Until you really experience it, you can't know about it. And you also have to be very careful about it because you start acting on the precognition, things get very messed up. It can be very dangerous. So, But for us to take away, okay, he had that feeling about that island. That island's possibly going to be important for Harry. Maybe it's not the last time we have seen the island. And the book ends with Harry pursuing his interests with Lucio, seemingly going both ways. Lucio seems quite interested in him. Uh, it implies very heavily that they have a very, very pleasant evening after the book stops. The start of a beautiful relationship? Or is it? We'll have to wait for another book to find out about that. That's where we're going to stop with this one. Uh, thank you for joining me on this fantastic book of Dresden Files, number 10. Uh, I see, wow, an hour and a half. There was a lot to cover in that book. I gotta try to figure out to condense these more. But thank you for sticking around and enjoying wandering through this tale. And there's more to come, more goodness. There's 17 books out there. 17.5, if you caught that novella, The Law, that just recently dropped, it's good too. But that's it for today. We'll talk to you next time.